Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy, man. I'm fine, thanks. Uh, can't complain. As always, things are going well. Well, not always, but, you know, at the moment, <laughs> touch wood. <laughs> no, generally speaking, <laughs> I'd say things usually go well in this neck of the woods. Barring an invasion from China, <laughs> which is a distinct mm, possibility here in Taiwan, mm. but no, no, no. Anyway, so, um, yeah, things are going great. I've been reading lots of comics um, over the Easter weekend. We're recording this right after Easter. So um, mm-hmm. both of us had a good time. I don't know if you got a lot of time for reading, did you, over the Easter weekend? More family time. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Um, and it was just actually my birthday. So I got yeah. some really cool uh, gifts for my birthday that I shared on Twitter there. Uh, the the jewel of it being uh, Werewolf by Night, one through five. Oh, man, I was really excited to see that. Oof. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. man. I, I saw that you posted that online and you send me that in a dm as well i'm so envious that's that's an amazing birthday mm. you know i'm never quite sure what to do with your birthday because it's on april 1st you know i'm not even sure if that is your real birthday it could be <laughs> april fool's joke so i'm never like <laughs> quite sure <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> but now i know so no happy birthday man and I'm, I'm glad you had a good one you always seem to have a good birthday though your family sort of they're very nice. They take care of you. They always give you a nice birthday gift tailored to your passions, either soccer related or comic related or movie related. <laughs> yeah, they know me well. I'm easy to buy for. They know it's just a uh, you know a, a matter of me pointing out to them or throwing them hints. You know, that's all. As long as I do that, <laughs> it's good to go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. No, that's that's the opposite of what I have to do. I sort of have to hint and and you know push my Amazon wish list on my wife and you know my daughter's way too young to she makes me a card sometimes super related sometimes horror related cards that's cool but you know I kind of have to mm-hmm. the gifts that I really want it, it's hard for me to to wheedle it out of them <laughs> but you know it happens every now and then I get something something nice usually over Christmas my wife really does the research but you know if it's not Christmas, you know, she's like of of the mind that, hey, you know, Christmas is the holiday for foreigners to get gifts. Any other holiday, no. Because here in Taiwan, birthdays are not a thing. They have birthdays, they get cake, but they don't have, you know, gifts. For them, that's just yes. not a birthday thing. You know, you don't get gifts on your birthday. That's weird for them. <laughs> so they do have two Valentine's Days, though, Billy. The Western one wow. and they have their traditional Chinese Valentine's, you know, day. Lover's Day, they call the Chinese version. So my wife does demand two gifts for me, <laughs> you know, for, at the, on those separate dates. But, you know, I'm, you know, I'm only at Christmas. You know, that's the only time I received gifts. Damn it. <laughs> so but speaking about Christmas, I mean, this time we're talking about All-Star Squadron issue eight and nine. Christmas has since come and gone for the All-Star Squadroners, right, Billy? And they're firmly ready mm-hmm. for getting ready for new year and that's what, mm-hmm. where our story set in and around new year's eve of december of 1941 in the uh, earth mm-hmm. 2 universe so before we talk about issue eight and nine though i'm going to let you introduce the issue you're going to be doing you're going to again give the synopsis for for all-star squadron issue eight right billy but um you quickly want to run down the specs on that yeah, so uh, All-Star Squadron number eight, uh, Afternoon of the Assassins. 
uh, and it's by our buddy Roy Thomas uh, writing, Adrian Gonzalez pencils, Jerry Ordway inks, John Costanza letters, Carl Gafford colors, and Len Wein is the editor. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, Billy, I mean, um, before we get into the synopsis, I want to ask you, so is this one of the mo- more recent acquisitions of yours, or is this one of the All-Star Squadron comics that you've uh, had for a while and that you read um, way back when? This is one I had, I think, 1 through 10 or 1 through 12 uh, pretty much for a long time. Mm. It was it was more in the middle and then the end that you know I need to, to finish off. But I've had the first like 10 or 12 issues for a long time. Right, right, right. The reason why I'm asking is because, you know, um, we're going to be introduced to one of my favorite All-Star Squadron members in these two issues. And mm-hmm. um, also because I uh, actually Robot Man is our favorite. Both you and I have agreed on that. But this one, this character mm-hmm. that we're going to see, you know, entering the squadron, um, he's actually, you know, neck and neck uh, tied, you know, in terms of how, how much I love Robot Man and, and this character. I like both of them. They're kind of like a great buddy, you know, a great duo, uh, a buddy mm-hmm. team. They're like Power Man and Iron Fist for me, but on the DC side, and I wish, I always wish we had seen more of them. But, you know, yeah, they're they're sort of like uh, the spearhead of any All-Star Squadron attack. If you think about tank-like characters like Colossus over at the X-Men or, you know, Block mm-hmm. over at the Legion of Superheroes, the Thing at Fantastic Four. They're kind of like those kind of characters. You know, they're the hands-on yeah. brawlers. You know, they can take a punch. They're semi-invulnerable, super strong, super fast, all of that. So, you know, mm-hmm. I like that the, that kind of character, but especially these two who always worked in tandem. And, um, you know, but I was very frustrated because I never had issue eight and nine, which featured the you know, the introduction of this specific character that we're going to get to. And, um, you know, when I picked these comics up as a kid, it was sporadically, but I I could get a lot of them because they were readily available, it seemed. But I couldn't get my hands on 8 and 9 until much later. Um, I think I it was it was when All-Star Squadron was already, um, you know, in its uh, 30s or 40s when I finally picked up issue 8 and 9. So it was in the late 80s that I picked it up, but, you know... Mm. Or, or in the mid-80s when I picked it up. But, you know, point is, I never saw this character entering the squadron. I was sort of surprised because when I started reading issue 10 and I had not read uh, read 8 and 9, suddenly this character was there. And like, how the hell? What happened? I, I want to know. You know, so I was looking at the letter columns for, for months after that, trying to get some, you know, idea, some inkling of how he had come to join the squadron. Okay, I better not mm-hmm. keep the listeners in suspense any longer. <laughs> Who am I talking about, Billy? Because I keep mentioning him, him. It sounds like I'm talking about God or something. <laughs> Who is this no, guy? talking about Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. <laughs> Adam, well, him, he, him. Is, he is God. <laughs> him. <laughs> According to Jack Kirby, I mean, Jack Kirby created him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, oh, yeah. so... The king. Yeah, the king, man. Doc, listen, who are we talking about here? Who is this character? Also one of your favorites, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so this is uh, Steel, the indestructible man. That's yes. who we're talking about here. <laughs> That's right, Steel. Now, I had gone on record as saying I don't really like patriotic superheroes, Captain Britain, Captain America. You know, that's a bit of... Uh, that's 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 really not true. I do love... Captain America, I do like, you know, Captain Britain. But, you know, I don't like the fact that they're sporting, that their whole, you know, um, personality is 
you know, centered around this uh, idea of of patriotism and country. You know, believe because as we know, those those things change. You know, over time. You know, the idea of patriotism and and of country changes over time. It depends on the government that runs it, right? And the the system of government. So, um, I mean, a long time ago, patriotism might have meant, you know, that you want to keep your country's culture intact and not let any new people in, you know, that kind of thing. Now, nowadays, we know that that's actually wrong. Uh, I'm not talking about the U.S. specifically, or I'm talking about other countries, you know what I mean? So, it, it, my, my point is the idea of patriotism sort of uh, shifts sometimes, if you know what I mean. It should, should, should not always be tied to a political ideal. But in any way, um, that's just my opinion. I know many people disagree with me. Commander Steele, however, or Steele, as he's just called at, at this point in time, he mm-hmm. is a type of patriotic superior, but not really, because he could also be seen as just uh, in a different mold. He's a spy type of character. He's an infiltrator. He's a soldier, a super soldier. Um, he is, of course, an American super soldier, so he's, he's, he's tied mm-hmm. to the American ideal, but he doesn't uh, wear the the flag overtly you know he he sports the colors of the flag but it could be more universal you know believe if you think about the symbol of the star which appears on the american flag but also is his symbol on his uh costume stars are universal you know it could be it could stand for many things so mm-hmm. um i like that about him i like the fact that he's more than just a patriotic superhero um mm-hmm. and um also his power set is great so we'll get into that but one of my favorite characters um, of the All-Star Squadron. These two issues are great. And I'm glad we finally got to talk about them. So, Belit, what about the synopsis for issue eight? I'm excited. Mm-hmm. All right, get ready. So, we begin with action out the wazoo as an assassin attempts to murder Winston Churchill. Luckily, Liberty Bell and Sir Justin are there and take him on. The villain, named Kung, takes out Sir Justin but has a tough time with Liberty Bell. He eventually uses some trickery on her, too, but just before he can finish her off, Steel the Indestructible Man shows up and manages to fend him off, but not before an explosion knocks him out as well. Back over at the hospital, Liberty Bell, Sir Justin, and the doctors think he'll pull through, and then Churchill recounts his origin. They read a doctor's journal that reveals not only Steel's background, but his first encounter with Kung as well. He recalls a mission he was sent on by Churchill to kidnap none other than Adolf Hitler. We then see Baron Blitzkrieg and the diminutive Zwerg as they plot once again to kill the Allied leaders who are aboard a train. Once again, Kung makes his move to take out Churchill, but the All-Star Squadron, along with a bedridden steel, managed to stop him. All right, what did you think of this one, Herman? Yeah, man, um, this is a fantastic issue. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna get to some pretty great issues later on in the in the All Star Squadron series, which I love much more than any of these first ten issues, if you know what I mean, Billy. But this one is um, w- great. I'm not gonna say it's one of my favorites, but it's an amazing read. I even with Roy's, you know, exposition and his dialogue, uh, you know. Uh, balloons almost uh, bigger than the art, you know, in some places. <laughs> I don't mind that because there's there's lots of reveals, there's lots of action. You know, we've got the origin of steel, not the complete origin that that'll be in the next part as well. But th- this is at least mm-hmm. the initial origin. And then of course yeah. we've got these great um, 
uh, action sequences which you mentioned in the synopsis where it features a lot of mm. our favorite characters you've got liberty bell getting in on the action yet again i mean roy's really pushing for her to be at the forefront even though her power set is arguably one of the weaker ones except for the atom <laughs> <laughs> oh poor atom i, I don't want to fuel his um you know his complex even further you know his <laughs> he's so <laughs> derogatory about himself he's you know oh poor atom but you know liberty bell she gives a good accounting of herself she also takes some leadership you know um uh credits here right billy she's uh, mm-hmm. you can see she's kind of like a captain america figure when it comes to making quick decisions and then yeah. sir justin's there again one of our faves uh we've got um you know uh an assassination attempt yet again <laughs> by this black assassin <laughs> And uh, then Commander Steele gets in on the action. Now, this is set up as a surprise, right, Billy? Because think about it. when you were, if, if you were one of the readers reading this when it was coming out, this is a new character being introduced. So this is completely um, a surprise for a new reader, right, of All-Star Squadron, mm-hmm. I think, at the time. But what a great character to introduce. I mean, if you think about it, every team kind of, especially a team during wartime, they need this type of flag, this um, flag-smashing, well, Nazi flag-smashing kind of, a patriotic uh, hero, Captain yeah. America type figure, um, and uh, they got him in Steel, and and now he's Im- immediately joining the All Star Squadron as well. So, uh, not a character that that had been newly created by Roy Thomas. In fact, he was created by Jerry Conway and Don Heck. Right, he had his own series, mm-hmm. five issue mm-hmm. series in the um, late seventies. I think it was from nineteen seventy eight. Right, Billy, and um, mm-hmm. you and I both own that. I know you recently acquired that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something we that's something we might talk about, you know, some kind of an adjacent uh, uh episode. Stay tuned, but yeah, I can't wait to see what happens in the next issue too though because man, like you said, this is a good intro for Steel, but the next issue really really ramps up with more of his origin and all that stuff here. He's kind of like an amalgamation of like Captain America and Wolverine with his <laughs> Yeah, he's got like we, an, <laughs> a, 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 and what what do you call it, Negan? endoskeleton you know uh, he's got a, a skeletal structure made of steel and uh, micromotors mm-hmm. at the joints you know making it possible for him to move those heavy steel joints and uh, then also giving him super strength and uh, mm-hmm. super speed he can run 50 miles an hour or more uh, okay so it's not super super speed but you know what i mean it's like almost on par with yeah. robot man's speed and mm-hmm. uh, then you know he can uh, press lift a couple of tons um, you know, he's he's virtually indestructible if you think about it. Of course, he can be rattled and knocked unconscious by a, a, a powerful uh, blast, you know, of mm-hmm. and if he's not wearing his steel mesh armor-like suit, he could be temporarily, you know, hurt by bullets, you know, hitting his skull, even though that's been reinforced with steel as well. So they won't kill him, but they'll sort of knock him unconscious for a few minutes. But, you know, mm-hmm. overall for... Uh, Roy's purposes here I think you could call him uh, um, semi-indestructible right Billy <laughs> he's mm-hmm. not completely <laughs> just like Robot Man is you know you that wouldn't make for a fun character if you have someone who's completely invulnerable to all harm um, you know but he could survive a, a hail of bullets uh, hand grenades yeah. easily he, you know it's, it takes a massive explosion to actually lay him out and then even then his skin hasn't been broken he's not I mean, in, in the very first few panels, when he saves Winston Churchill, who's in Canada, by the way, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, giving a speech, which which was is historically accurate. He went to Ottawa to give a speech mm-hmm. to Canadians, who's also obviously involved in the war as uh, one of the allies. And um, Wilson, mm-hmm. Winston Churchill, while rallying their cabinet, um, yeah, they were already in, involved in the war, but you know, he he needed to do a token speech there, right? Um, yeah. He's almost assassinated by this black assassin, this this Nazi assassin. And then uh, saved by Commander Steele. And this is very appropriate, Billy, because in fact, there was, I mean, Roy Thomas, um, or, or I should say Jerry Conway and Don Hick, they didn't just pull this character out of thin air, uh, this character of Commander Steele. There was a Canadian superhero in the 1940s called Commander Steele. Mm-hmm. Now, he's um, he, he's not similar in his look. to He looks more like, you know, Tom Strong. Uh, you know, uh, Alan Moore's Tom Strong character that he created oh, right. in the 1990s for ABC comics. But, you know, um, basically he was like a kind of, I would say a Doc Savage t- sort of uh, knockoff, this Canadian superhero, uh, Commander Steel. I think he was created by a guy called Ed Furness, or at least he was illustrated <laughs> by this guy, Ed Furness. <laughs> That's really his name. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. <laughs> and then apparently Roy had read um you know of his exploits in a reprint in the 1960s but then that's where jerry conway eventually you know they they got the idea for commander steel and then they gave him a new costume he looks more you know his costume's more reminiscent of someone like adam strange you know than than what we mentioned earlier adam warlock (laughs) being him you know his costume's more like adam strange over at dc the you know uh, where he's got this fin on his head you know um and then Okay, he doesn't have a rocket pack or anything. He doesn't need that, but um, he's and then he's got this uh, sort of what is that? An eagle, right? Billy, an eagle motif on the front of his costume. He's got these stripes yeah. running down his legs and and along his arms, and then it's mm-hmm. predominantly red, blue, black, and white. Um, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great costume. It's a great visual. It's uh, not. Oh yeah perfect for covert missions if you think about it which is what most of his his early missions entailed he had to go behind enemy lines to kidnap hitler with two you know uh, commandos <laughs> along for the right right but he airdropped into yeah. poland to kidnap hitler and then they were laid low by a nazi commander who stumbled him and his squad stumbled on them there was an explosion mm-hmm. he was knocked out and they he woke up in a concentration camp so that's basically the first part of the the origin. We'll get to the rest later. But you know, great mm-hmm. issue that Roy could pack all of these things in there, plus some action with him saving uh, Winston Churchill. And my point was, Billy, it's appropriate that his first appearance in the All Star Squadron is in Canada because, after all, he's based on a Canadian superhero called Commander Steel. So, mm-hmm. but at this point in time, he's firmly just Steel. So it's 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 debatable how much Jerry. Conway and Don Heck took from the original Commander Steel character, but Roy definitely, you know, in the next issue, we'll see why the Commander Steel name becomes important. Yeah. But Billy, let's go through some of our favorite panels and action bits here. Uh, you go first. Like, what what was it you particularly liked about this great issue? Well, like you said earlier, too, Roy really, you know, uh, gives a, a really big spotlight to Liberty Bell, and she takes this guy on after... Um, Sir Justin takes a basically takes a bullet for her. This is a really violent issue. Like it shows a couple oh, of soldiers right. get wasted, Heck yeah. and then Sir Justin takes a, a shot point blank, and uh, you know his armor will stop him from getting killed, but it pretty much knocks him right out. And 
she starts to kick the crap out of this guy until he gets the drop on her. But yeah, some really good panels there. And then there's like about a half spa- half page splash where, you know, uh, Steel comes in and just punches <laughs> the assassin right in the face and knocks him over. That's a good one. And then the one where I'm not sure what page it is, but it's where he is. Uh, uh, he jumps on a plane like a maniac. Jump, <laughs> parachutes out of one plane and jumps on another one, a Nazi plane, and starts tearing it apart. It's like a two-thirds splash page, and it is incredible looking. It shows this. You know, he's ripping the cockpit off of the plane, and the Nazi pilot is like screaming like, ah. Yeah. It looks really, really good. Yeah, man, that's during the flashback sequence where he re- uh, recounts his origin. Because, um, yeah. you know, uh, it's it's quite well told by Roy here, I think. Because what, what happens, right, Billy, like you said in your synopsis, is um, this assassin, this black uh, assassin, as um, Commander Steele, who's fluent in mm. German, calls him Schwarze Meuchelmorder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he... <laughs> He's, you know, uh, almost like a suicide bomber because when his laser rifle, which in fact seems to take out Sir Justin after killing a Canadian soldier, it seems to take out Sir Justin, um, this high-powered laser rifle, um, and then Commander Steel crushes it in his hand. He crushes the steel in his hand to, to, uh, you know, get rid of this laser rifle. Then this guy goes full suicide bomber. He decides to blow up the entire cabinet and then Commander Steel dives on top of him very heroically, shielding everybody from the blast with his indestructible body, but he's knocked unconscious or injured or whatever, but it doesn't look as if he's injured at all. He's just unconscious. Then Winston Churchill says he's met this guy before, which is true in the Steel comic he did. And um, uh, then, you know, before he passes out, he hands a diary to Winston Churchill. (laughs) And then he passes out. (laughs) And then Sir Justin is seen to be, have survived, you know, his armor, a magical armor forged by Merlin, saved him from the laser blast. And then he says, I survived. Um, would that great Merlin had forged this man's vestments <laughs> as he once did mine. <laughs> That's what he says of Commander Steele's armor here, which is, which is not too shabby there, Sir Justin. I mean, Commander mm-hmm. Steele's armor, uh, this this suit of, sort of metal mesh suit he Wears it enhances his already indestructible steel-like skin, right? Right, Billy. So um, mm-hmm. then you know Winston Churchill he mourns for this fallen Canadian soldier, and then he just goes forward with his speech. He's not going to cancel. Just powers forth. So um, well done, Winston. And then uh, they take this train journey, um, and on the train, of course, Winston Churchill's there along with. Uh, you know, a nurse, and what I assume to be Winston Churchill's traveling physician, the doctor that always accompanied him on these ch- trips, Sir John yeah. Moran. But I'm not quite, I'm not 100% sure if that's him, but he sort of looks at, you know, uh, x-rays of <laughs> of Hank Haywood's skeleton, which is Hank Haywood's obviously the real name of Commander Steel. And he Steel, says, yeah. wow, this is where we get the Wolverine bit, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I should yeah. call him Steel at this point in time, Steel. And then mm-hmm. they start to read the diary. And Winston mm-hmm. has already read it, but he highlighted the pertinent passages for Liberty <laughs> Bell to read to the rest of this, the squadron on this train. And then they go through his origin, right? How he was, mm-hmm. you know, a medical student and he was working in conjunction with his fiance's father, who was a scientist, uh, Professor Giles. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or is it Giles? Believe G-I-L-E-S, Giles, Giles. 
Uh, yeah, Gil- maybe Giles. Yeah, Dr. Gilbert Giles, um, uh, this medical scientist who had developed this procedure, along with Hank. So he he was a medical student. He's a scientist himself, um, in in the medical profession, right? Believe in, in uh, they they were mm-hmm. um, advancing these medical technologies that would save lives. They developed a process called uh, fueled by this uh, type of. Um, uh, I think you would call it a chemical called a bioretardant. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. would enable um, surgeons to replace damaged organs and limbs to be good as new, right? So you could be, mm-hmm. if you lost your arm, you could have a new arm and it would work completely. You know, they could uh, reattach your nerves with this bioretardant. And uh, they also um, pioneered this process of replacing your broken bones with you know, steel alloy tubing, so mm-hmm. and micromotors to power your joints, and you know, obviously, a man with this with a massively heavy metal skeleton couldn't move that skeleton based on human musculature, right, Billy? At at present, so you kind of have to have someone who either has micromotors in his joints to move the skeleton, or a healing factor like Wolverine, which sort of ensures super strength right that's sort of how it's explained in marvel with wolverine's healing power you know it, it also gives him a right. little bit of semi super strength because he needs to move that heavy skeleton all the time so mm-hmm. same with hank here it gives him super strength gives him super speed gives him indestructibility and then it goes on to chronicle how he first encountered this black assassin outside yeah. uh in the uk outside the british parliament where he saved uh Winston Churchill the first time around from this black assassin. Um, That's (laughs) how Winston met him. That was a great fight. Basically, he takes out all the assassins, (laughs) sucko, in one, you know, uh, SFX there. And then uh, they they shoot him. Nothing helps. He crushes their guns. He throws them into each other. They're they're down for the count. And Winston shows up with his soldiers and then, (laughs) you know, impressed by old Hank's feats here. And then we see mm-hmm. uh, Gilbert Giles, the scientist, dying, right, Billy? And his daughter, Hank's fiancée, Gloria. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is horrible, Billy. What does the scientist do on his deathbed when he asks <laughs> to see Hank? This is just terrible. He, he, he somehow figured out that Hank is steel. And he says, Hank, I want your promise. Your promise that you will give up this madness. Which, I mean, madness? He's trying to fight, you know, and be heroic. Why is that madness? But okay, whatever. <laughs> Or renounce your engagement to Gloria. Won't let my daughter be hurt by some damn overzealous patriotic fool. <laughs> so he makes Hank promise that he's either going to stop being steel and fighting for, you know, the allies or stop dating his daughter. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> now, now, Billy, okay, he's a jerk, but think about it. He's got a bit of a point here. How many times in superhero comics have you seen... Uh, scientists working on some kind of uh, world-changing formula to ha- to help humanity, to to better humanity. Then something bad happens. They have to use the formula on themselves, and then they end up becoming a superhero. And then they never pursue that formula again. <laughs> this formula <laughs> has served its purpose. It's turned one single individual into a superhuman, and then screw the rest of humanity. I'm a superhero now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to live the life. Isn't that kind of what happened with Hank here? Think about it. Uh, Hank and Professor Giles, Giles, they were working on this um, formula, you know, uh, this bioretardant, mm-hmm. which was successful. And they, you know, then Hank was uh, hurt in an explosion. And that's why he needed to be the guinea pig. He needed to be the prototype. 
the, the guy mm -hmm. to receive the first fruits of this formula and it was successful he became a superhuman after that nothing more is said about the professor's research right <laughs> hank right then pursues his superhero career so you know okay this professor is kind of sticking it to hank here saying that yeah you you mm -hmm. chose patriotic superheroing over you know science that would better the rest of the world screw you you're not marrying my daughter <laughs> <laughs> and then hank comes out of the uh, hospital room and gloria says hank what did he say and hank just says nothing gloria i won't be seeing you again goodbye and walks yeah away. that's he it try to explain anything to her it's like wow that's it damn it oh man that's that's heartbreaking but also <laughs> it's it's terrible on the part of prof the professor or the Dr. Gilbert Giles, but also bad on Hank's part. I mean, fight for the woman you love, buddy. <laughs> mm. I'd be like, look, your dad's old. He's going to die anyway. Let's just keep hooking up. He'll never know. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. And then, you know, it, it goes on to explain how Winston Churchill immediately decided to use this American super weapon since the Americans weren't in the war at this point in time, right, Billy? It was 1940. Uh -huh. Winston was trying to get them into the war. He said, hey, well, I've got this American asset over here. I might as well use him. Go and kidnap Hitler, son. That's your homework. <laughs> That's your homework assignment. <laughs> so they do that. You know, um, uh, Commander steals old gung-ho because he described himself as entering the war all by himself, right, Billy? Not on the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the orders of the U.S. government, but, you know, right. he entered the war because of the invasion of Poland and he thought that was wrong and he was going to fight for liberty. So that's why he's not quite like Captain America. You know, even though Cap was involved in the war... You know, um, but that was on, you know, on the U.S. government say so, you know, in the early golden age. Right, Billy. Um, mm -hmm. Here, Commander Steel, you know, he's, he's his own man. Well, he's not Commander Steel. Why do I keep calling him that? Damn it. His force of habit. <laughs> Steel. He's just a private. Right. In the mm -hmm. U.S. Army. Yeah. Uh, right. Steel. He's sent to, by Winston to kidnap Adolf Hitler in Poland. And he's, you know, parachuted in with these two commandos. Um, and then, you know, we get to the part that you discussed where after they're mm. they're dropped over Polish territory and they're about to pull their chutes, these Messerschmitts, German fighter planes show up and they take down the the Allied aircraft and then um, mm -hmm. huge explosion, right? Kerbloom, Kerbloom, yeah. taka taka brack. And then bloody hell, the bomber, she's been shut down, says one of the commanders. <laughs> Then Steele does a bit of aerial acrobatics, right, Billy, where he somersaults mm -hmm. towards this plane in midair, grabs onto the Messerschmitt's wing, and then flips himself over, very Captain America-like, right? And then mm -hmm. we get to that part where he rips out the cockpit and then throws the pilot out of the plane, the German pilot, and then flies the plane himself and, you know, crashes it into the other Messerschmitt, Badakum, <laughs> and then he he parachutes down, and then that's where the diary ends, right? The diary entry ends, and then, you know, that's that's yeah. that's all for now, you know, because he's passed out. He can't fill in the the gap, the gaps. He's still, you know, laying in bed. And Billy, then mm -hmm. we've got this the uh, one of our well favorite. <laughs> we established that in the previous episode we did. One of our mm -hmm. favorite villains making an appearance again. Uh, who is he again? You mentioned him in the synopsis, I think. Baron Blitzkrieg. Yeah, he says they're they're listening in. I guess to that they have the train bugged or something, and you know the uh, little guy Zwerg is talking to him, and Blitzkrieg says, "Yavol Zwerg, 
with this <laughs> with this tracking device, I can tell precisely where that fool Churchill's special train is at any given moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they've got some new technology. I mean, they already have a high-powered laser rifle that they gave to that assassin, right? And now they've mm-hmm. got this piece of technology which can listen in from, uh, well, almost across vast distances, right? I mean, we don't know how close right. they are to this train, but they can listen in, I mean, to, to what everything that's being said in this right. one train carriage. And then, you know, um, <laughs> this has got a little Zwerg showing up there. You remember Martin Gray, one of our uh, listeners, uh, commented on an evil little dwarf. Are we okay with that? I mean, <laughs> you know, these. why are dwarves evil people? Now, you know, Billy, you and I were both big Christopher Lee fans. You know, Christopher Lee, man with a golden gun, you know, little Herve you know, tattoo. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. little evil dwarf that he had. Knickknack, I should say, was his name in Man with the Golden Gun. So what I'm trying to yeah. say is I'm okay with evil dwarves every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you figure like... There was movies like, you know, think of the Wizard of Oz. There were a lot of little people in that movie. Munch, they were all good. So yeah, you have munchkins. to balance it out somehow. You need some evil little people. <laughs> the little people. <laughs> anyway, no, no, no. It's um, of course that's reprehensible. We don't want to always portray people, you know, uh, in that, you know, like. But um, you know, Zwerg, mm-hmm. he's a pretty despicable character. You know, this little Zwerg, mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that he's still alive is a godsend because actually, you know. The Nazis also sent disabled people and, uh, you know, people with dwarfism and they sent, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, people with all kinds of uh, genetic disorders. They're all sent to the camps. Did you know that, Billy? Mm-hmm. Because they wanted the master yeah. race to be in the gene pool. They don't want any of these people they considered lesser humans. So, mm-hmm. you know, Zwerg is lucky he didn't end up in one of the concentration camps himself. I'm just saying it's it's, yeah. it's terrible to say that, you know, but... I mean, it is, yeah. it's a fact that they did that. Yeah, you know? it's reality, yeah. Yeah, so horrible. But um, then they've got the, the sinister plan that they're discussing, and their plan's almost derailed, pardon the pun, because they're on a train. They're all the, you know, Baron Blitzkrieg's plan's almost derailed by another supervillain. Now, this is the first time we saw him. You mentioned him in the synopsis as well. Uh, Kong, right? Or Kung, <laughs> like you would pronounce mm-hmm. it. Um Kung is a Japanese super villain. I've got a, a bit of a write-up here on him, Billy, that I can read about it. He shows up a couple of times during the All-Star Squadron series. Um, interesting villain, right, Billy? I, I mean, he sports mm-hmm. this purple jumpsuit with the a yin-yang uh, as his symbol and then the, a bit of the flag of Japan emanating from mm-hmm. out of this yin-yang. Shape-changer, he can change into any animal form, much like Beast Boy or, I should say, Changeling from the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. But um, he also has, I mean, his powers are mystical. So, you know, uh, he could do a couple of other things as well. He was a uh, samurai. Actually, he was uh, born in Japan, but his family had traveled to the States in the 1920s, you know, and then um, his sister was interred in one of the the concentration camps that the the u.s set up for you know the japanese population because they were worried about spies and infiltrators which was one of the more reprehensible things that was done under the roosevelt administration at that time you know billy um most of those people were patriotic americans they were even born Mm -hmm. in america those those of japanese descent in in the state so that's a whole other story for another time well i'll Mm -hmm. get to prepare earth prime archive on that 
later on when we get to the character Tsunami, <laughs> <laughs> which which we'll get to her. But anyway, um, I'm not going to mention that in in with regards to uh, Kung. But he went over to Japan um, in the 1930s and became a samurai. But during his samurai training, he also underwent mystical instruction. Right, Billy? And then that's where he mm-hmm. learned his uh, shape-changing powers. This also gave him the power to sort of put people to sleep or in a hypnotic, mystical trance, which is what he kind of does to the All-Star Squadron members in this train car with Winston Churchill and Commander Steele, uh, mm-hmm. you know, lying in, in this um, in this bed on a, on a drip, all bandaged up. Kong manages to not only tear through the roof as a tiger. Now, even a tiger bully cannot tear through <laughs> this metal roof, but he manages to do so. But, bef- right. but you know, before he did that, he put everybody in the train car to sleep with this sort of, um, you know, with mystical hypnosis mental. Hypnosis or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then uh, before he enters the car, though, Hawk Girl shows up with this, uh, with Hawkman's mace and this ball and chain that he's had got. And then... Uh, firebrand in a biplane which is pretty cool you know she's a pilot as well and mm-hmm. then they drop off to um heroes johnny quick and robot man and then they engage kong in a battle now at first it seems that uh kong can easily take out hawk girl he sort of t- turns into an eagle who uh damages her uh, nth metal belt right Billy and then also her helmet yeah. and she falls off the train and her last thoughts are of Hawkman <laughs> right as she plummets <laughs> to her death but Johnny Quick saves her and then you've got Robot Man versus Kung <laughs> this mm. is a cool battle what what happens yeah. there Billy well Robot Man he gets all smarty pants with Kung and says like you know hey pal uh, an eagle and a tiger aren't going to stop me like I'll, I'll I'm going to pretty bad yeah and then <laughs> Kong's like aha but how will you do against a rhinoceros so then you have him changing into a rhinoceros on top of a train car fighting <laughs> fighting robot man and it seems actually like a pretty even fight so then Kong changes into a giant praying mantis and robot man's ready to like knock him out because he's thinking yeah I could probably knock out a praying mantis but then Kong shrinks down into like the actual size of a praying mantis, and Robot Man just goes flying off of the caboose of the train. <laughs> yeah, his momentum—the momentum of his punch that missed—took him, you know, <laughs> off the train, and then he falls into the snow into the snowdrift. Because after all, they're in Canada still; they're on a train journey back to the states. But um, yeah, so uh, Winston Churchill is then left defenseless in the train car because it seems that he was even though everybody else is sleeping in the train car, right, Billy? Um, mm-hmm. With the Doctor, Liberty Bell, you know, Shining Knight. Uh, Winston has since awakened because of a breeze. <laughs> That's how they explain it, I think. <laughs> a breeze wafting in through the torn-up roof, <laughs> through the torn-up ceiling. He's awake to see Kong leaping down and uh, first giving a supervillain speech to old Winston. And then he doesn't change mm-hmm. into an animal to turn out, uh, to... to to assassinate uh, the prime minister, right? But he decides to use his martial arts training or whatever. He grabs Winston Churchill in a headlock. <laughs> Choking him, yeah. Choking him. And then Winston Churchill is in, in dire straits here. He's going to die. But then what happens, Billy? Heroic moment. 
yeah, Steel kind of wakes up a little bit, and they're right next to the bed he's in on this train. <laughs> and he reaches out, and of course, with his super strength, he grabs Kung and just pretty much chokes him. Yeah. And then he changes into an eagle and flies off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they explain that as saying that he could have changed into a larger animal to, you know, make good on his promise to assassinate Churchill. But if he had done that, he would have died because Commander Steele's grip is so powerful that it, let's say for instance he did change into a rhino his neck would have been mm -hmm. crushed in the process because the grip was not slackening at all so he had to change into a smaller animal like the eagle in order to break free from this vice like grip yeah, yeah. so he escapes <laughs> churchill's safe um hanks partially awake liberty bell you know lords him as a hero and then mm -hmm. uh we see the the, the end of the comic um Blitzkrieg and Zwerg, they're ranting and raving at Kong because Kong almost uh, messed up their plans. They didn't want yeah. Churchill to be assassinated on the train, which seems strange at the time, but actually they wanted a two for one, right, Billy? Yeah. Which is still apparently what they're going to get because it turns out that since Kong has been foiled, uh, Blitzkrieg and Zwerg's scheme is still on track. <laughs> Another train pun mm -hmm. here. It hasn't been yeah. derailed. It's still on track, and that's how, you know, it ends with Blitzkrieg exclaiming that uh, Churchill and Roosevelt will soon fall at the hands of his special agent, whose name is, what is his name, Billy? <laughs> Steel? Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the next issue, should old acquaintance be destroyed? <laughs> <laughs> Great oh, that's there. a that's brilliant! Excellent, Roy. Well, then, and then we do get a one pager here too. Yeah. All Star Squadron fact file, which is hmm. super cool. You get a really good uh, little uh, drawing of Shining Knight and his horse, and then some facts on him. You know his origin and first and appearance and stuff like that. And then one for Robot Man, and then one for Johnny Quick too. Oh yeah, man! I I like that these fact files that they insert at the end there. Um. Believe now, some of our listeners want us to go into the letter columns. I'm not much for that. Uh, we're not going. Well, to, I mean, here, you if, know unless me, you want to. I'll, I'll just do one thing. There's, there's one quick thing you had kind of alluded to it earlier. So, I'm assuming this is Roy writing this. So this isn't a letter, but this isn't a column. It says, "Special Squadron note: Few DC heroes have been much re as much requested for membership in the purpose, purposely amorphous All-Star Squadron by the letter writing hordes." as the man called Steel, whose magazine had its own five-issue run a few years back under the aegis of creator Jerry Conway and Don Heck. In fact, a sixth issue was completed when Steel the Indestructible Man was canceled as part of a temporary DC cutback at the time, and in many ways it was one of the best and most important of the series. Thus, Len and Roy decided to take the majority of the pages for that sixth issue previously unprinted except in Xerox format for a very limited audience and have it partly rewritten and totally re-lettered and re-inked to fit issue 8 and 9 of All-Star Squadron. So, there you go. They basically took an issue that was you know, written and drawn and never saw the light of day and put it into uh, the two issues here that we're talking about today. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right, man. I think that issue did um, appear eventually in the cancelled comic Cavalcade you know, mm. release of DC, you know. Um, but, yeah, you're right. They took, uh, you know, the storyline from, you know, the Steel Issue 6, which was never, you know, um, printed. 
mm-hmm. at least which which wasn't released at that time. I think it was part of the DC implosion, right, Billy? Like all those mm-hmm. titles that we loved, uh, Hercules Unbound, Beowulf, lots of comics yeah. from that time were were victims of the DC implosion. They were all canceled and, you know, um, Claw the Unconquered. Oh, man, I love that series. Holy moly. So many good mm-hmm. series, but um, yeah. So um, Steel Two, I really like them. Like I said, I'm not much of a fan of Don Heck's superhero work, but the Steel series, Billy, you've read it since you've acquired it. I mean, that's some of Heck's best stuff, mm-hmm. and it's not very superhero-y. I mean, mm-hmm. in the yeah, f- no. in the first issue, he fights a guy called uh, yet another Baron, Baron Death. <laughs> what a <laughs> what a moniker! Damn, a Baron Death. <laughs> <laughs> so you know but still so that part's superhero it's cheesy it's crazy but you know most of the time it's guys in military garb it's Don Heck doing his Joe Kubert kind of impression mm-hmm. but you know it's still firmly Heck and you know Commander Steel he, he doesn't really look like a superhero for me he looks like a guy dressed like a science fiction type super soldier uh, that's that's the best I can describe him. he's always got a gun slung around his back in those five issues you know Billy he's got a mm-hmm. flare gun in fact doesn't mm-hmm. he use his flare gun in I think this is the last the first and the last time he used it in the pages of All-Star Squadron this flare gun that he used to have in the first five issues of his own series in the only five issues <laughs> that he you know of his own series <laughs> he used the flare gun you know, which which could briefly uh, knock out enemies by blinding them so severely that they're, you know, going into, you know, shock. And um, mm-hmm. he uses this flare gun on the assassin, the laser rifle sporting black assassin in the in the beginning of issue eight. Right. Billy, did you see that? Mm-hmm. Or no, mm-hmm. it's, it's during yep. the flashback, I think, that he uses it. The flashback still. scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's the he only calls him a, he calls him some kind of crazy, you know, a name for a derogatory term for a German or something like that. He calls him. I'm like, oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, so actually he never had the, the flare gun again. But I think in his DC Who's Who in the DC Universe entry, right, Billy? Which is, I think, in DC Who's Who um, issue five, they mentioned where, where there's the Commander Steel write-up, they mentioned that he used to have a flare gun <laughs> that he <laughs> sometimes employed. But he also used a submachine gun, <laughs> you know, which he... Mm-hmm. used to mow down Nazis at times. I mean, he does that in the flashback when the commander captures him and the two commandos, when the Nazi commander, you know, um, happens upon them in Poland, in the in the, the forest. Uh, yeah. They mow down Nazis left and right with their submachine guns, and then eventually Steel starts to resort to fisticuffs before being <laughs> taken out. But, you know, um, great. Yeah, so I don't associate him, you know, with superheroing at at least not in those first five issues, those five issues of his own series. Um, mm-hmm. It was just some great heck penciling. And speaking about penciling, I mean, Adrian Gonzalez did a fantastic job here, oh, I yeah. believe, again. Oh, yeah. The, this mm-hmm. is the third yeah. All-Star Squadron issue. He's penciling, and it works for me. It works really well with Ordway's inking, Ordway's always keeping it consistent and well-polished. The, the man's, you know, a god. And uh, Gonzalez gives a fine accounting of himself you know so it almost i mean rich buckler is a great penciler but you almost don't even miss him this this is this is mean of me to say that but you know what i mean right i mean <clears throat> yeah it, no these these two issues are excellent i mean and let's be honest let's not overlook the two covers as well 
Oh my gosh, Joe Kubert, especially the the next issue, number nine. Oh my goodness. Yeah, dude. Let's keep the the covers for uh, later. But yeah, definitely, mm. I want to talk about those two covers. Joe again returns, um, and he's never done a cover I didn't like. It's just the Kubert way, right, Billy? Um. Uh, so yeah, I love the covers. Yeah. The, my my favorite would definitely be the cover of issue nine that we're going to be talking about. But um, mm-hmm. issue eight again, amazing cover. I just love it when Kubert draws stuff like trains, snow. You know, he draws Winston Churchill. Okay, he doesn't quite look like Winston Churchill though, right, Billy? You must admit, right? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Adrian <laughs> Gonzalez and uh, Roy uh, and and Jerry Ordway. Jerry Ordway. He they do an amazing Churchill on page fourteen of issue eight. You know, where that's oh, just yeah. the, the the his face. Um, it's 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 like like a photograph. Obviously, they use photo referencing, but you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it's great. And then Cuber doesn't do a good Churchill, but still, you know, it's it's a great cover because it features them, I mean, tackling this mantis on top of this train, <laughs> this giant <laughs> mantis, <laughs> praying mantis. Wow, what a cover. What a great layout too. Mm-hmm. You've even got Sir Justin, you know, like, I mean, he's, his sword, is he's trying to stab this thing, but you'd have thought that he should not do that because Liberty Bells, <laughs> she's in danger of being impaled by Sir mm-hmm. Justin's sword and Winston's clasped in one of the, the claws of this mantis, right? Mandibles <laughs> or whatever, yeah. That's insane. Oh man, it's a great cover. And then we're gonna get to talk about, you know, the next cover just now, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. So should we head on into issue number nine? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Another good issue, right, Billy, but I'll do this the the, mm. the specs first and then the synopsis and then I can ask you your thoughts. Okay, this is All Star Squadron. Uh, number nine, a cover dated May 1982, on sale February 25th, 1982, cover price 60 cents, page count 32, edited by Len Wein, cover artist Joe Kubert, and then we've got writer Roy Thomas, scripter, oh, some of it has been, of, of course, scripted by Jerry Conway, right, Billy, we should mention, because it features his story um, yeah. that he did with Hick, the unpublished sixth issue of Steel, penciled Adrian Gonzalez, uh, and also penciler Don Heck is credited. Mm-hmm. Inker, Jerry Ordway, letterer John Constanza with colorist Carl Gafford. Reprinted in the Showcase Presents All-Star Squadron Volume 1, uh, which is where you can find most of these early issues of All-Star Squadron. The only way you can find them as a collection, right, Billy? Barring whenever mm-hmm. DC's going to put out their, their All-Star Squadron collection, which I hope is going to be soon. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, the synopsis is as follows. Um, okay, uh, maybe I should go through the cast of characters because this one's decidedly bigger than the last one, right, Billy? We've got oh yeah, Johnny Quick, Liberty Bell, Robot Man, Shining Knight, Firebrand, Adam, Hawk Girl, and then Steel and Hawkman. Uh, w- well, he only appears briefly <laughs> on a telephone conversation. <laughs> oh, it's pretty cool. While sitting on a on a telephone pole, by the way, it's <laughs> the Sorry. only way he could have. Anyway, we'll talk about that. All right, so um, synopsis is as follows. Our issue starts in the White House where Steele, a.k.a. Hank Haywood, is promoted from a mere private to a commander by President Roosevelt for saving the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. As it is New Year's Eve, the All-Star Squadron, Steele, and the two world leaders get ready to party and smooch under the mistletoe. Watch out, Firebrand and Liberty Bell. (laughs) (laughs) 
While the party planning commences, the newly christened Commander Steele relates his experiences in 1940 behind enemy lines where he was taken prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp in Poland. While detained at the camp, an incident occurred where he nearly escaped but was thwarted. During the escape attempt, however, a Nazi camp commander got his comeuppance by having a vial of acid thrown into his face by one of mm. his Jewish prisoners. Our story then cuts to Baron Blitzkrieg, who is eavesdropping on the party in the White House via the sophisticated machine we mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> the Baron reveals that he was the Nazi commander who was splashed with acid and that this attack is revealed to have not only scarred him but blinded him as well. During his rehabilitation, he volunteered for a Nazi super soldier procedure in which he was imbued with his strange energy powers. After, his having, uh, after having his sight restored, Blitzkrieg brainwashed Steel in the camp to become his sleeper agent. The Baron then cuts in on a telephone conversation between Hawkman and Hawkgirl. <laughs> the aforementioned conversation, right, Billy? Mm -hmm. And he does this to activate Steel with a code phrase. The new squadron member begins attacking his teammates and attempts to kill both Roosevelt and Churchill. He gets the better of most of the squadroners with a little help from Baron Blitzkrieg who is psychically feeding Steel power until Firebrand throws a fireball in his face. <laughs> this doesn't injure Commander Steel but it is enough to break the psychic link with Baron Blitzkrieg. Steel then returns to normal but Blitzkrieg is left blinded yet again by the experience as it reminded him of his scarring and bl being blinded by acid. The story ends with the Baron sobbing in the arms of his faithful wet nurse, Zwerg. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that one ends, right, Billy? Wow. So, okay, yeah. now it's your turn, Billy. What did you think of this issue? Okay. Other than one thing, this issue to me is perfect. I love everything about it. The only thing that bothered me was, like you said, the whole phone conversation where uh, Hawkman is on the phone, right? And who's he talking to on he's, the other end? No, Isn't he's talking it? to uh, Shaira, to Shira Sanders, his fiance. She yeah. wanted, or they arranged the phone call because it's New Year's Eve. She wanted to speak to her yeah. fiance because he's, after all, he's joined the military and she won't get to speak to him often. So, yeah, they arranged this, especially for her. <laughs> right. So they're t they're having a conversation. And then all of a sudden she's like, who is this? I was just, yes, all right, just a moment. Steel, it's for you. Steel says, me? And she says, the phone company cut in, asked to speak to you. What? The <laughs> Whoa. You didn't think that was weird at all. The phone company's going to cut in on a conversation between Hawkman and Hawkgirl. And then say, uh, yeah, for some insane reason, we know Steel is in the room. Put him on the phone. What? <laughs> well, in their defense, right, this sort of tips off Liberty <laughs> Bell, right, Billy? Because Liberty Bell's mm -hmm. like, oh, no, actually, it's it's a comment from President Roosevelt. He says, like, nobody knows he's here. How can the phone company uh -huh. know? So Liberty Bell yeah. immediately starts wheeling <laughs> FDR out of the White House, out of the, the room they're in. And mm -hmm. uh, with Churchill in tow, she sort of, like, ushers them to a, to a safe space. And Johnny Quick, yeah. And Johnny Quick, yeah, because this mm -hmm. the, they, they see that something's fishy going on. Also kind of 
a steal sort of sets them off as well because he gets this blank stare on his face, right, Billy? And they mm-hmm. keep talking to him, but he's but he's not responding. He's like a robot at this point in time. Right. So, um, yeah, you're right. That part <laughs> is a little bit whack. <laughs> right. But otherwise, it is fantastic. I mean, the artwork, yeah. like you said, it's just Gonzalez and Ordway are just an incredibly awesome team. They look fantastic together. And then you go to those scenes where it's the flashback, where it's, you know, the inserted material from the Conway and Heck uh, unfinished or not published sixth issue. That looks great, too. Really good fight scene with, you know, a couple of the mm. operatives and steel between them and this uh, Nazi commander and his uh, crazy uh, troop here. And they have dogs with these spike dog collars. and These attack know, dogs, attack yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, and then he I... kicks the crap out of them. <laughs> Yeah, the dogs can't hurt him with his steel-like, you know, uh, armor and uh, skin, right, Billy, and his um, tough physique there. But they take out the two commandos. At first, I thought Mm -hmm. that meant the dogs ripped them apart, but in fact, no, they were just injured and taken for experimentation in the Nazi uh, death camp. Yeah, the concentration camp, which they did do. They experimented a lot on on people, just like the Japanese did Mm. in the Unit 375. They did that because, uh, you know, after all, human life was cheap then, right? Believe At least the, the lives of those interred in the camps. And, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, this obviously Dr. Mengele, you know, he's become famous as a mad scientist for doing those horrible experiments. Um, mm. So, you know, believe, but, you know, we'll get to that part when we do Earth Prime Archive briefly. I love Gonzalez, you know, he, he because he's improving. You know, every issue that he's done so far, he's he's been improving. The first page splash, which is sort of the, you know, squadroners and Churchill and FDR in the White House with this round, ta- you know, table filled with champagne and, and, and champagne on ice and, you know, glasses. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the, you know, the curtains in the background, the White House interior. It's amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, and then all of the squadroners are in there. You know, some in the foreground mm-hmm. looking on. Liberty Bell's drinking a coffee rather than she's a <laughs> teetotaler, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But the rest of them have even, well, okay, Billy, explain this to me. Even Robot Man's got a glass of champagne. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Crazy. damn. And then they all toast, um, here's to 1942. And then they all drink. But, you know, Robot Man doesn't drink, you know, so... And then Adam says, you know, uh, when, when Adam takes off his mask, Robot Man comments, he says, I was wondering how you're going to drink through your mask, Adam. And then he says, says <laughs> Robot Man, who swigs down nothing but motor oil. <laughs> Damn. So he's just holding this glass of champagne for for the effect <laughs> that it, you know, for to feel a little bit human, right, Billy, to remember yeah. when he was human. It's actually quite sad. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Johnny Quick uh, tries to sort of, I'm not going to say he's trying to roofie, you know, Liberty <laughs> Bell here, but it's almost, he says, hey, why aren't you drinking, Bell? You know, a guy could get lucky later on. <laughs> no, he never says that. But he sort of comes on hard here, right, Billy? Because he keeps saying, oh, hey, yeah. when are we going to get under the mistletoe, Bell? You know? I like her response to him, though, when he says about why aren't you drinking booze instead of coffee? She looks at him and she says, not all of us reporters are hard drinking types, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, and then Johnny's not having to say, oh, give me a break, lady. <laughs> he's, he's not giving up. And then listen to Sir Justin, man. He gets, wow, this is a great comment. He says, I need no spirits to say the words I would speak, messieurs. 
<laughs> I would salute Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of beleaguered and embattled Britain. <laughs> so he's like doing, taking this opportunity to kiss some ass here. <laughs> because, I mean, Churchill, as close to King Arthur, I mean, okay, there's King George VI, but, you know, I've never seen, you know, the Shining Knight praise him. <laughs> he's probably not considering him a real king at all, <laughs> right, Billy? Poor King George. He mm. had his, you know, problems. You know, he was stuttering and, you know, not being seen as a true leader. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel bad for the guy. But anyway, you know, the point is that, you know, someone like Sir Justin, who's used to King Arthur, you wouldn't see Sir jo King George VI of England at this time as a real leader. He's probably seeing Winston Churchill, you know, as this King Arthur type figure, right? So he's saluting mm -hmm. Winston. And, uh, oh, man. And then, you know, is, I mean, I think Adam's sort of hero worshipping Hank Haywood a bit here, uh, Commander Steele, right, Billy? Because, I mean, after all, mm -hmm. Adam has just joined the army. He's he's a private, you know, Commander Steele has had all this war experience, which not a lot of American guy boys can say at this point in time, right? I mean, they just right. ended the war. Uh, Adam's, you know, into it. So he's sort of asking in this this kind of fawning fashion, right, Billy? He's saying, well, you know, I've been wild to hear the rest of Steele's story. What happened after you and the British commandos landed in Poland? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So Steele... That's when they go into that new material, yeah. Yeah, that's where the new material comes from. Now, this is great, right, Billy? I, I briefly spoiled some of it in our previous discussion, you know, not in our previous episode, but when you and I discussed issue eight just now, where I said that he was mm -hmm. found, uh, you know, behind enemy lines along with these two commandos by this Nazi squad, uh, now, they could have been one of the Nazi death squads, you know, Billy, the Einsatzgruppen, which were sent mm -hmm. in to Poland after the, the you know, um, the initial assault, uh, because they were sort of weeding out the Jews and also, you know, the collaborators and also people who were in the resistance, the Polish resistance. They were they yeah. were sort of establishing the collaborator networks that they would have to because they employed the the, the local population right believe to ferret out the Jewish people, which was mm -hmm. which is horrible. But you know the yeah. the population did that because their lives were in danger and they were also you know then given preferential treatment by the Nazis and stuff. So the point mm -hmm. is that it was horrible these death squads and this death squad who very often had attack dogs right believe these Einsatzgruppen mm -hmm. who were sent in to kill the Jews after the Wehrmacht had already like steamrolled the countryside. They were the these reprehensible guys who then also shepherded people to the camps. But most mm -hmm. of the time they would just execute you during this early invasion of Poland, at least, you know, which this is now 1940, this flashback, right? They would just yeah. execute whoever they found, just uh, have them dig a ditch and then machine gun them. Uh, and eventually they, you know, developed some psychological, you know, problems from that so that's why they they developed you know more industrial means of of executing people in the camps which is horrible you know but that was their intent from the get-go you know believe to 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 exterminate most of the jewish people and even the slavic people so you know the mm -hmm. the polish people were half jewish half slavic most the population wise at least so they were all, all going to die eventually, you know. That's just the way it was. Hitler intended that, you know. So, but then this this is a great sequence, right, Billy? Where you've got Commander Steele fighting these attack dogs and and the Nazis and the two commandos. Mm -hmm. One is a Polish guy. One is a Brit, right, Billy? They're 
giving a great accounting of themselves. They're they're really commandos. You can see that they're taking on what like at least 20, 25 Nazis here with with three or four attack dogs, and um, you know Commander Steele's then taken out with um, a rifle butt that's swung like a baseball bat. Well, a rifle. Mm. Swung by like a yeah. baseball bat on the head. So that's strange that I would take him out, but you know, not inconceivable, right, Billy? I mean, a normal man would have died. His skull would have been, his right. brains would have been leaking out, right, on the ground after this. But Commander Steele's just knocked out. And then he wakes up in the filthy hovel that is a concentration camp where these mm -hmm. Nazis are treating these people abysmally, right? And then you've got this mm. horrible scene. Right, Billy, now, do you want to speak on this? Because I've already spoken about this. And, you know, I think our listeners would like a fresh voice or, you know, maybe you can be more, well, this it's impossible to be optimistic about this, but what do you think about Gonzalez drawing these two, two and a half pages of the death camp? Yeah, these are, it, it, it's tough to, to, you know, read and look at um, because, you know, it, it, it's true. If it was just something made up, it would be easy. Uh, to look at and read it, but it's it's all true. And you know, some of the prisoners there tell Steele about you know the horrible things they're doing to them, you know, just indiscriminately killing them, experimenting on them. And then one guy, you know, pulls away his shirt to reveal how they just you know they barely feed them. They only feed them enough to keep them alive, basically. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's all that's all they do. And then Steele flips out and attacks a bunch of the the soldiers and. He's doing quite well for himself, but then one of the soldiers gets into a like a jeep and smashes right into him and knocks him completely out. And then they're gonna, you know, experiment on him, and then that's when they see about, you know, they kind of X-ray him and see about what's going on and all his metal, his bones being, you know, replaced or whatever with reinforced steel and all that stuff that you talked about earlier. And then he kind of breaks loose again and goes a little crazy, and you know, we see he gets shot like right a bullet grazes his head. And then one of the uh, the Jewish people in the camp, and that's when he picks up the the acid and throws it at the commander's face. You know that we already talked about, and you said about how that's uh, Baron Blitzkrieg now. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you know, during his escape, you know, from that lab, right, Billy, with the Nazi commander of the camp right there, gloating. Um, mm -hmm. He, yeah, he wanted a weapon. He needed a weapon, and they were shooting at him. You know, he was in a hail of bullets. Now, he could survive most of that, but he knew that he would be overpowered sooner or later. So he grabbed this bottle of acid, which was the only thing near at hand. Then he leapt through the window, but then a bullet grazed his skull and he was knocked out again. And that's when one of, well, a Jewish prisoner he had met earlier, this emaciated man, yeah. decides to get revenge. And he picks up the bottle of acid, which lies on the ground. And when the Nazi commander comes out, he hurls it at his face. And he's immediately gunned down, this poor Jewish man. Mm. But at least he yeah, got his revenge. Awful. Yeah, because that Nazi commander, like I said in the synopsis, turns out to be the man who would become Baron Blitzkrieg. And, you know, right after he was scarred and blinded by this acid, Hitler was at the camp. He was right there, you know, with Heinrich Himmler, his SF chief chief in tow. And he was, you know, witnessing these events. So presumably Hitler, you know, then drafted this guy, this Nazi commander yeah. was scarred to become Baron Blitzkrieg, which which is part of their own super soldier program. We would see the the flashback of uh, you know Baron Blitzkrieg having his own little flashback of how he became uh, you know uh, the Baron. But you know, Billy, super then villain, yeah, yeah. Now this is the important part. After that, after he was 
uh, after Steel was knocked out, you know, he was still semi-conscious. That's why we got most of the, you know, after he was hit by the bullet in the skull, he knew what was happening around him. He could sort of see hazily what was happening, the acid being thrown in the face of the, the Nazi com- commander, and then also the, you know, Hitler showing up and the Jewish uh, prisoner being gunned down. He knew what was happening, but then he passed out, and he can remember nothing other than, you know, just showing up in Canada and saving Winston Churchill from the black assassin. So that's mm-hmm. already very suspicious, right, Billy? That that should have already set the All-Star Squadron members off on what... How can he not remember anything? And, he, and yet he showed up in full costume, you know, in mm-hmm. Canada somehow. You know, that's a pretty huge gap, right? So Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> but they didn't... I mean, they just take that as a given. They said, okay, well, you know, you're here now, and now you're part of the squadron. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Billy, we've got Baron Blitzkrieg's... Uh, origin here this is interesting i like it i mean um where they sort of inject him with the serum that that gives him complete control over his body's resources which is which is later we will find out to be an energy sort of that he can harness uh, for various purposes he can use that energy in his body to um for super strength almost like ultra boy from the legion of superheroes you know ultra boy has this ultra energy in his body but he can only use it for one power at a time you know, now, Baron Blitzkrieg's nowhere near as powerful as Ultra Boy, but he does have this ability to use his body's energy, whatever you want to call that, his chi or what, to um, give himself these powers. He could even gift someone else with his power briefly, which we'll see happens later. Um, yeah. But, you know, so he vowed to serve Hitler as one of Germany's first superhumans while Hank Haywood was in prison. And then... He his first act, right, Billy, was to orchestrate the assassination of Winston Churchill and President Roosevelt by uh, also planning what we what we saw in, in issue seven, you know, uh, with the robots uh, uh, duplicate. But now he's got a backup plan, and his backup plan involves the brainwashing of Steel to become his mm-hmm. sleeper agent that will eventually show up in the White House and murder. So all of, uh, and murder the the world leaders there. So all of this was a plan. Yeah. It worked out fairly well. If I mean, like, you know, he just is naturally assumed that Steele showing up, saving Churchill from that assassin, which was all part of the plan. That assassin was set up to fail, right? right. But he now he the assassin yeah. probably didn't even know anything about this, right? He was just sent no. into. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, he probably knew that then, you know, Churchill being accompanied by the members of the All-Star Squadron, seeing Steel as superior showing up, that he would then take him into the fold or introduce him to FDR and that he would be, you know, with the All-Star Squadron in FDR's prison sooner or later. And that's when he wanted to use the code word, which is, uh, what, what is that code word again, right, Billy? It's like the day of chaos or something. Uh, now begins the age of chaos. That is the code mm. phrase that um, he hypnotically implanted in Steele's brain. Mm-hmm. So, Billy, then we've got this the, the telephone call that you mentioned. This is a great bit. Hawkman and <laughs> Shira Sanders, they're on a phone call, specially arranged because it's New Year's Eve. She can't be with the man she loves. So he's hanging up on a telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in San Francisco <laughs> patched in by the telephone company specifically to the White House and then they get interrupted or cut off right as the the the, the clock ring strikes midnight right uh-huh. and then that's when <laughs> this crazy phone call happens where the phone company cuts in to speak to Steele 
Now, Billy, now this is the greatest <laughs> bit of this entire issue. Is this knockdown, drag out battle between an, uh, a hypnotically mind controlled Commander Steel and the rest of the All Star Squadron? You want to speak on this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Steel fairly easy beats the crap out of <laughs> pretty much everybody on the team. Like, he slaps just like pimp slaps Al Pratt into unconsciousness and then goes after uh, Johnny Quick and Johnny Quick obviously with super speed gets a few shots in on him but with you know a metal skeleton he really doesn't do any good so he just knocks him out but then Firebrand actually she creates a circle of fire to kind of protect Churchill and uh, FDR and you know Steel's like I'll be able to get through this eventually and then he goes and knocks her out too and then that's when uh, our buddy Robot Man steps in and you get, you know, a full page of the two of them fighting and struggling. And it's really cool because it's like a super good fight because they're like evenly matched, mm. you know, <clears throat> that's it's right. really, really good. Yeah, that I love page, that Billy, isn't that page amazing? Oh. That, that page oh, where great. I think it's page 23, right? Where Commander mm -hmm. Steel and Robot Man, they slug it out and yep. um, you've got this this main central image of steel and um robot man engaging and then you've got these four circle panels uh where mm -hmm. each of them lands a punch you've got steel landing two punches uh one to robot man's ear <laughs> or that ear you know um audio audio you know device he, he got for an ear <laughs> you know which yeah. is like these two discs on the side of his head and then mm -hmm. these audio receivers and then you've got um, another punch to the bread basket <laughs> you know and then you've got <laughs> robot man laying two on well one looks like it's on a throat but it might be on you know both punches might be on commander steel's jaw but it doesn't take mm -hmm. him out in, in fact it only enrages him and then robot man i don't know in a move of desperation he grabs a chair <laughs> or something and <laughs> world world wrestling federation style smashes it on uh, Steel's head, but that doesn't help because Steel's getting somehow he's getting stronger, and we learn that this is in fact because Baron Blitzkrieg is feeding him psychic, psychically feeding him his own body body's energy that he can sort of reroute and control, right, Billy? Yeah. So this is making Commander Steel stronger. He hurls Robot Man aside, but then Brandy for the win. Firebrand steps in. What does she do, Billy? Yeah, she basically just throws a fireball right at his head and face. <laughs> yeah, knocks him like kind of like for a loop, and it kind of, you know, jars the connection between him and uh, Baron Blitzkrieg. Yeah, and the reason it jars the connection is because the Baron is psychically connected to Steel, and he is, mm -hmm. you know, reminded of the acid that was flung in his face by that Jewish prisoner and his blindness. And in fact, this renders yeah. him blind again, right, Billy? Because it's mm -hmm. this time it's a sort of mental blindness. He's He's been traumatized um, psychically. And so mm -hmm. his mind, you know, takes him back to the time that he was blind. So he has now been rendered blind again, you know, and mm -hmm. then he collapses in agony. Uh, Baron Blitzkrieg does. And then Commander Steele, he wakes up from the trance and then they realize that he was being hypnotically controlled and that it's over now. Earlier, in fact, Baron Blitzkrieg had mentioned that once the, once the hypnotic command has been broken he won't be able to be, be hypnotized again because of the strength of commander steel's will right billy because they had some trouble trying to hypnotize him there in mm -hmm. the when he was in the camp 
which is also just mm-hmm. a convenient explanation for why he will never be subjected to Baron Blitzkrieg's whims again, right? But right. Uh, it works for me. I mean, it's a comic book after all. And then, Billy, we've got mm-hmm. a great final uh, bit of... I mean, this is the second to last page, but, you know, right after everybody recovers, Brandy <laughs> reabsorbs the fire. Commander Steel and Robot Man, they make friends again. They're they're really impressed with each other, you know. And, and Robot Man's quite impressed with Steel standing up to him for so long, right? And then Johnny Quick wakes up and then immediately starts hitting on, on Liberty Bell. Immediately after yeah. he wakes up again, he says, I've got a nasty bump on my head, lady. Why don't you kiss it and make it well? <laughs> yeah, she comes over to him. Adam's fine. And Johnny, and then he says that. And then she says, is back to normal. Is back to normal. Yeah, he's back to hitting on me. <laughs> Jesus. And then, you know, you got the very next panel, Billy. The, they're under the mistletoe. <laughs> And this is where we get a hint of things to come, right? Sir Justin and Firebrand, they wasted no time. They're smooching it up. We know what's going to happen between them. I've hinted at that before. Sorry, spoilers, folks. But Sir <laughs> Justin and Brandy, they've been there since the very beginning, right? They've been together. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been yeah. through more than the rest of the squadron together. I mean, her getting her powers on that island, fighting Wotan and, mm-hmm. you know, all of them. So, you know... Grundy. Yeah. Grundy. And then, you know, you've got a whole girl, you know a little bit sad that she can't see Carter but at least she had a phone call with him and Johnny Quick then immediately <laughs> grabs Liberty Bell again and he says um, you know it's New Year's Eve remember now Bell about that kiss and then Liberty Bell she just gives in <laughs> really what does she say she said now that I think about it why not but it never <laughs> does show them actually kiss but it does show Sir Justin and Firebrand making out <laughs> Oh, man, it reminds me of a Rick and Morty episode. I've been bringing up Rick and Morty a lot, Billy, but, you know, I love that show so goddamn much. It's like after this 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 traumatic event, Jerry, right, the the, the husband in, in Rick and Morty, you know, his wife despises him because he's this wimp, right? He's this coward. Mm-hmm. But then after this, they almost all lost their lives, right? He says, and now, if you won't excuse me, I'd like to make love to my wife. And then, you know, Beth, the wife, she says, you know, why not? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> consolation sex or something. <laughs> That's great. This is exactly what's happening here. You know, after they they were all almost killed, Liberty Bell says, oh, let, let me throw him a bone. <laughs> well, she's looking around the room and thinking to, my, thinking to herself, well, who else have I got to choose from? Robot man? Little Al Pratt? <laughs> <laughs> Who's wearing a or, mask, or, by the way? <laughs> Yeah, or Churchill or FDR. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna work. So I guess. <laughs> and Hulk girl, no, not going to go that route yet. <laughs> no, not that she ever does. But she, why not? She could have, you know. And anyway, and then we've got this great final page, right, Billy, where they're all in front mm. of the Christmas tree in the White House, and um, Churchill smoking it up. FDR is back in his wheelchair. He was briefly mobile there because, after all, we know, you know, from history that. FDR can stand if he needs to, right? But he's not always in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. He's got metal braces to help him stand sometimes because he firmly believes that sometimes you must stand at a lectern or a podium in order to to look the part of president. He wanted them, you know, the world leaders and America to see that he's not weak, even though he was confined in a wheelchair most of the time because of the, the polio he had, right, Billy? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he's back in the wheelchair. And then the, the final three-panel sequence, Billy. You want to speak on that? Because I briefly mentioned that in the synopsis. Talk about pathetic and well-deserved comeuppance. Talk about that a bit, this three-panel sequence between the Baron and Zwerg. 
Yes, Zwerg has to basically take care of the Baron, who's, you know, acts like he's all tough, but he's like, help me, Zwerg. Don't leave me. And Zwerg, never, Herr Baron. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like a scene between two lovers here. What is going on? <laughs> the crying game here, Billy. Listen, um, mm-hmm. he, he's got, help me, Zwerg. Don't leave me. And uh, then it's so dark. I can't see. Please turn on the lights. And then there's this, this, this sad bit where Zwerg says, they are on. Herr Baron, <laughs> you will recover mm. soon. And he's like, promise me, Zwerg. Promise me I will see again. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, Herr Baron. <laughs> okay, listen, I'll do the Baron and you do Zwerg. Okay, Billy, here we go. You shall... S- no, no, okay. You, you. Th- this is all you then, right? This last bit. No, this is this is all... Well, no, this is the Baron. Isn't the Baron saying, no, no, Zwerg, you shall see again. And on that day, we'll strike like lightning in the night, you and I. And smash the allies and their hated all star squadron for all time. For now, you must sleep. <laughs> oh it's creepy. Oh, it's really creepy. Oh my goodness. Oh damn. Well that's that's a good laugh, Billy, but also a great oh, way to end it. Gosh. I think this is Roy saying like a villain, a, a horrible villain like this Nazi who's revealed to be a death camp commander, right, Billy? Right, yeah. Um, so he, he should coming and then suffer stopped, like this, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm not much for you know an eye for an eye, but I'm in this case I am, you know, Billy, because mm-hmm. yeah, horrible. So oh, great, yeah. great bit of uh, an ending there from Roy and and the artists involved, and also you know shout out to Jerry Conway and Don Heck for giving us this amazing character mm-hmm. um, of Commander Steel or Steel who became Commander Steel. So, Billy, yeah. that's it, man. And then, you know, before we forget, let's talk about... We've, we've already kind of discussed Issue 8's cover. So let's get into the cover, again, by Joe Kubert of Issue 9. Um, I'll let you go first this time. What did you think about this cover? Yeah, it's quite good. Ring of Fire, Ring of Fear. And it shows, you know, Steel and Robot Man fighting, you know, in a circle of fire. They're just basically engulfed in fire. And then the rest of the uh, All-Star Squadron looking on in the background. And it's... You know, it's got a black background, but all the red and the yellow from the fire. Oh, it's incredible. This is this is one of my favorites of the entire series. It's an amazing cover. It's it's terrific. Mm-hmm. It's got okay, very appropriate because, you know, Brandy, uh Firebrand, she did throw up a ring of fire around them, you know? Which mm-hmm. sort of makes the battle between Robot Man and Steel more epic. I mean, first she threw up a ring of fire to save Churchill and Roosevelt, right, Billy? And then later on right. she threw up another ring of fire. You know, um, and that made the battle more epic for me. You know, it's like, damn. Mm-hmm. And then um, this happens sometimes. I mean, I ne- I don't know if you ever watched that show Spartacus. You know about the this the, you know the real life character of Spartacus and his rebellion against the you know the Roman Empire. But he was a gladiator, right? Mm-hmm. Billy. There's many scenes yeah. where they're in the ring and there's fire being you know they're in a circle of fire and the first one who who gets thrown out of the circle of fire you know loses something like that you know so this this reminds me of gladiatorial combat <laughs> from spartacus yeah. at its finest it's great it's it's wonderful oh, yeah so it's wh- awesome wow the guys they really outdid themselves with these issues and you know the funny part is this is not even our favorite issues of all time there's still better issues coming along the line down the line right billy mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. oh, yeah. these issues being as great as they are, they're still, you know, better to come. It just boggles my mind. I mean, we're going to have so much fun going mm-hmm. forward. So oh, yeah. I guess, Billy, that's it for uh, our, you know, <clears throat> main segment, hey. which is the discussion. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I prepared a very short Earth Prime archive this time around because we're firmly still... We're, there's not a lot of military engagement from the Allies at this point, right, Billy? I mean, unless you are talking about the Allies uh, over, you know, in Europe where... But, you know, Germany's winning at this point in time. Uh, Germany and Italy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and Romania at this point in time. And uh, Norway since joined them as well because, um, you know, they sort of invaded Norway, overthrew the government... And now they've installed Quisling as their puppet, you know, prime minister over ruler. there. Yeah. Ruler. And they've done the same in, in France at this point in time. France has already been gone for at least five months. And they've installed General Marshal Pétain as the Vichy government head, you know, in Vichy, France. So Paris is not the capital at this point in time. France is firmly under Hitler's control. There would be strong French resistance from the French underground, heroic efforts from them. But um, right at this moment, the Allies are very much on the back foot, right? Believe they're fighting this defensive war. And Germany's mm-hmm. making all the moves, all the right moves, it seems. Um, and they're overpowering in, in, in Europe at this time. And the Japanese are overpowering everybody in Asia. And that's yeah. amazing if you consider Japan such a small, you know, conglomeration of islands, right, Billy? And they have virtually, in a matter of a couple of weeks taken over most of Southeast Asia, you know, with their military attacks and their, which is also could be called a blitzkrieg because they relied heavily on air power to soften up the defenses of everybody in the region. And then they sent their troops in with landing craft and then they just like um, stormed over everybody. So the the Japanese soldiers, even though they were looked down upon by the British commanders in these British colonies and even the French commanders in these French colonies, uh, which was since taken over by, by you know, um, the Allies because, you know, the French couldn't at this point in time defend their colonies. You know, Germany didn't have a presence in Southeast Asia, you know. So, you know, places like Vietnam, for instance, and, and, and places like that, that was all under Japanese control. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Japan basically controlled most of British territory in, in Asia. And they also controlled most of the French colonies. And they had already, uh, you know, annexed the German colonies after World War One already, you know, when the Treaty of Versailles sort of split up most of Germany's colonial holdings among, you know, uh, the allies at that time. <clears throat> you know, so Japan mm-hmm. had a lot yeah. of colonies in Asia. They had China at this point in time, but but China never completely surrendered. You know, the, the Ch- Chiang Kai-shek, the Chinese general, he was fighting the Japanese, but he was they were, they were more doing guerrilla tactics, you know what I mean, Billy. They weren't they were there were some major engagements, but they almost always lost against the superior firepower of the Japanese and the superior training. You know, um <clears throat> so the Japanese they were an A class military at this point in time, com- comparable to the German Wehrmacht, which is arguably one of the better the best uh, armies of the the Second World War. Later on, that would obviously change, you know, Billy, mm-hmm. because lot, lots of factors, um, most notably when America entered the war, it started to change because uh, one of the biggest things that the states did in the b- beginning of the war is they had always sent over supplies to uh, England and, you know, to the allies fighting in Europe. Um, and the supplies helped a lot. But, you know, that was before they entered the war. When they eventually entered the war, they started helping the British in the oceans to to prevent the Germans, who, who are who's basically a landlocked country, right? Germany, if you think about it, even with all the territory they took, they prevented them from getting supplies um, via yeah. via the ocean and you know via ports, right, Billy? And 
the British had a navy to ensure that. Now, even though the, the Germans had this U-boat campaign that served them really well, they couldn't stop most of the British supplies from getting through and they couldn't protect their own supplies from the British mm -hmm. and from the Americans when they eventually entered the war, especially since after the Arcadia Conference between Winston Churchill and um, Roosevelt and other world leaders in December of 1941, they decided to focus on Germany first. They were going to overthrow Italy and Germany first and then focus on Japan. Now, that severely limited the supplies that the German military needed. Now, they sort of made up for that, right, Billy, by in eventually invading Russia because they took mm -hmm. a lot of territory, a lot of farmland, even though the Russian farmers did a bit of a scorched earth policy there when they retreated mm -hmm. to leave nothing behind for the Germans. They couldn't always do that um, <clears throat> feasibly well. So the Germans did end up getting lots of resources that their army needed. Uh, and other resources too, right, Billy? Oil, <clears throat> they needed that, you know. So uh, Russia had lots of that. And eventually, you know, they had to make a drive for that. But... Um, they ran out. That's that's my point. Eventually, they ran out of supplies, and then uh, if if your military runs out of supplies, they start suffering, right, Billy? How how long? Yeah, you're, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, your soldiers can't maintain on 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 lesser rations. You know, they're getting very low calorie content every day. They they can't maintain their their pace. They're not getting a lot of sleep. You know, how can you keep going like that? You know, fresh reinforcements mm -hmm. would arrive. You know, but then they don't have supplies. You know, so it's the same right. thing over and over again. Whereas Russia had seemingly, I mean, in the beginning of the war, they had almost no supplies, but that's not because they didn't really have the supplies. It's because they didn't, they couldn't send the supplies to their troops in time uh, who were engaging the Germans, if you know what I mean, right? But eventually Russia mm -hmm. harbored their immense, uh, you know, uh, number of people that they had in the country and their railroad systems and their transportation networks. They eventually got that up to speed to ferry supplies to the front. And then their troops eventually became better supplied than the Germans. And of course, the Americans also helped out the Russians, you know, with supplies. They helped out the British because, you know, that was their primary role <clears throat> in the war. They, they supplied them mm -hmm. with tanks, with weapons, everything. And uh, made a huge profit off of doing that, by the way. <clears throat> But, yeah. you know, I'm not begrudging you guys over in the States for that because, after all, the war needed to be won. It needed to be won soon. Horrible atrocities were being committed. The evidence was already there early on in the war of this horrible death camp situation and of the persecution of the Jews and of everybody else that the Nazis hated. And, you know, it needed to be stopped. Japan, they were leaving evidence behind them all the time of their war crimes, right? Believe, even in China, before mm -hmm. they uh, attacked the U.S., uh, it was already well known that they had perpetrated horrible atrocities on the, the populations that they had conquered. So, you know, yeah. there was a clear demarcation between good and bad in World War II. Very clear. Sure. You know, yeah. if you think about us now, now later on that would change. In the Korean War, the Vietnam War, you couldn't really see a clear line like that between good and bad. <clears throat> Even though some people might mm -hmm. disagree with me, they think, no, there is a clear line between good and bad. Trust me, if you go into research on this, there isn't. <laughs> You know, it's it's all politically motivated. It's all mo capitalist, you know, um, interests being served by those wars. It's not like good versus evil like it was clear cut in World War Two. Now, of course, the average German might not have seen themselves as evil, right, Billy? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, guys like Blitzkrieg and Zwerg, they're out and out evil. <laughs> they don't care who they torture or murder <laughs> to death because after all, they, they were Nazi camp commanders, right, from the death camp. So it, it took a certain kind of person a merciless kind of ruthless 
um, murderer that the Nazis picked for that role to lead the death camps. You know what I mean, Billy? Like a sadist. They picked sadists to yeah. do that. But um, so, you know, but I'm not saying all the Germans were evil. In fact, most of the German population, in fact, were not Nazis. They just went along with the Nazi party because of the Great Depression. You know, at the end of the 20s and in the beginning of the 1930s, Germany was in dire straits because of the Great Depression in, in the USA. It had affected them, you know, and then yeah. that's why they voted uh, the Nazi party in. It's not because all of them were Nazis, you know, they just wanted to, to save themselves from this horrible, from starvation, literally, <clears throat> and from joblessness. So, you know, all of this comes into play, right, Billy? But the point is um, the Allies were on the defensive at this point in the war. The Germans were winning because of their superior military power. And, um, you know, the British had even be been schooled in naval warfare. Well, it wasn't much, much of a naval engagement because what in fact happened in just uh, two weeks earlier before Churchill's visit, right, Billy, there was a massive sea battle. Now, now think about it. The British have the most powerful navy in the world at this point in time, right? There was a massive engagement <clears throat> in um, the, you know, in the Pacific Ocean between... Uh, the British fleet and the Japanese Air Force. And Billy, mm -hmm. do you know who came out on top? The Japanese mm -hmm. Air Force. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They lost just a few planes and the British lost these massive battle cruisers, battle battleships, the, the Prince of Wales and the Repulse. And these were, these were dreadnoughts. They were super battleships, right, Billy, at the time. Wow. Uh, f outfitted with ridiculous amount of technology, but they were blanketed by dive bombers and torpedo bombers and their strafing and their their flak and all of their uh, anti-aircraft weapons could not take out the Japanese planes at all because there was just so many of them statistically you know one torpedo is all that's needed right Billy and then sure. even yeah, with though these things are armor clad you know one torpedo gets through one bomb falls on the deck that's it and they were taken mm -hmm. out and then that's where you know, the, the, the sort of military mind started shifting because most of the generals at this time were from the First World War, for heaven's sake, right, Billy? So yeah. they started to realize aircraft carriers had to become the thing because, uh, a, you know, a, a fleet of aircraft could easily take out, you know, three or four battleships in no time. So that's what sure. happened that, you know, just prior to Winston Churchill's visit, the, the British had been schooled. They couldn't defend their holdings in uh you know in asia because the japanese were just all over the place and they were relying heavily on their um air force mm -hmm. these zeros just everywhere and the japanese dive bombers and the torpedoes were just amazing feats of engineering so later on that would of course be uh, eclipsed by the americans and by the british in technology but you know war causes technology to to advance at a rapid rate right billy and the com the country with the most resources will eventually win win the day, and that turned out to be United States and Russia. So other than that, Billy, I can give you a brief rundown on Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, you know, he's a he, it's true he's a great man. He's he was voted in a BBC poll once to be the greatest Briton who, who had ever lived. You know, mm. so um, I don't, I won't. I mean, obviously, he did amazing things for the country in terms of you know rallying the population during wartime and and all of that and he lived a very eventful life i mean he he was born into aristocracy he was rich you know billy born rich and then he was um he entered the military and he was at a time involved in a lot of
colonial wars for Britain, but he was also involved mm. for South Africans like me. He was involved in the, the Second Boer War, where he was, in fact, a war correspondent first, and then he was captured, and he escaped a Boer concentration camp that we put him in. And then he joined up again with the regiment, and then, you know, he was part of the military effort that won the British the war uh, in South Africa there against the Boers. So, which which is obviously something that I don't like speaking about. <laughs> I've got yeah. some national pride. But anyway, the point is, you know, the Boers were also lots of, uh, you know, racists and they treated the black populations badly. But, you know, Churchill was not much different, right, Billy? This is why I object to ha- him having uh, the title of the greatest Briton of all time. He, Churchill was a racist. It's, it's mm. a proven fact he was a racist. He said horrible things about people from India and about Indian culture as a whole. And even his mm. physician that we mentioned earlier, Sir um, John Moran, uh, Lord Moran, I should say, Lord Moran, not, he wasn't Sir. Lord Moran, he admitted to Churchill having these racist views of, of whites being the premier race and blacks being very low on the, on the, on the ladder in terms of, you know, what, what, what type of person they were, you know, what type of human being they were so that's horrible and i you know he was a racist it's just a fact so i think that that title should be taken away from him based off of that fact alone because if you think about it billy he was also an imperialist he wanted to preserve the british empire in india most of all because the the, britain became so rich because of all their colonial holdings but especially from india you know what i mean billy and um Indian troops were being drafted all the time to fight in places like Turkey and to fight, you know, in in Eastern Europe. And, you know, there's lots of places, uh, sorry, in Northern Africa. And there's lots of, um, you know, resources that India gave Britain that he didn't want to let go of the colonies, if you know what I mean, Billy. And um, Mm -hmm. he was an imperialist. He wanted to preserve, he was, he wanted to preserve the British Empire. Now, he was a great writer. He has a way with words. If you read his books on history and his earlier travelogues that he wrote, he wrote volumes, massive amounts of stuff. Um, it's 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 fascinating. He has a great, a wonderful way with ver- words. Even if you just read his speeches, which is the the easiest way to access his writing, if you want, just now on the internet, that's great. He he's a very good speaker and he's a very good writer. So he had all these talents, but he was unfortunately a product of British imperialism, and he was a racist. So yeah, unfortunately, that's old Winston for you. But he's he's stuck to his guns, even though. Um, Britain was was losing the war at one point in time. He never gave up. He never sued for peace. He never wanted to make a separate peace with Hitler or or he, he wanted to stick it out. And he would say that they would fight till the last British person dies. So that that's one thing we could admire him for. Is he never gave up, even through those hard times when America hadn't entered the war yet. So that's a little bit on Winston the guy that had been saved, his his ass was pulled out of the fire three times by my counting, right, Billy? No, four. No, no, no. It's, it's four times. Well, one time yeah. was a fake assassination, but it still would have gone through, I think, if Commander Steele didn't show up. Four <laughs> times, Billy. Once in a flashback, once which was a fake sort of rescue, and then once on the train, and then again mm-hmm. at the very... Well, yeah, the, at the end, he didn't really... No, no, no. So it's three times, right? He almost killed Winston at the end there. <laughs> yeah, so three times he saved Winston Churchill. So yeah. that's it for Earth Prime Archives. Billy, any feedback from our growing uh, listenership? Yeah, we did uh, get a um, 
an email from our buddy Martin Gray, which is always awesome to hear from him. He said, uh, thanks for another fantastic episode covering two wonderful issues with the art team of Gonzales and Ordway being a real highlight. There's a vibrancy to the visuals that we rarely see in 80s superhero books, which I do agree with that. Um, and he said, I love it when Roy splits the story into chapters. It's classic. Um, and then he also goes on to say about, you know, uh, like you said earlier about the uh, evil dwarf stereotype, you know, trope there, you know, it's something that like you and I talked about, you know, it's there, there's, we, we need to level the playing field with all the, the good little people in the world. So we need one every once in a while. So, <laughs> oh, <that's horrible. laughs> um, and then he went on to say too, about, you know, loving the earth prime archive. And then he said about, you know, the historical part too. And he said, uh, he said he did buy recently the restored edition of 70s UK documentary series, The World at War. Um, and he said that was really super cool. He said he saw it a little bit when he was a kid, but, you know, seeing the 26 episodes, he said now is really cool. And it's, uh, you know, a little bit sorry, you know, to see, too, because, you know, of all the, you know, deaths and destruction that went on during then, too. But, um, you know, you went on to say, you know, kind of like you did about FDR and Churchill, that, you know, they were good leaders for the for the time to get uh, – you know, to uh, get the uh, access powers and stop them from basically taking over the whole world. So that was uh, awesome to hear from Martin. Yeah, man. Hard times require hard men. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, I agree with Martin there. Martin had some great comics, uh, comments. He always does. I'm glad he, he went back and, and, you know, this sort of briefly reignited. I mean, I think we can take credit for that. I'm not quite sure, Martin. You can, you know, vilify us <laughs> later on. We don't mind. But I think we can take credit for briefly, you know, um, sort of inspiring Martin to go back and, and, and do some, you know, research on the world, on the war. And I think, mm -hmm. I mean, the British folks, you know, they're still, it's still a big part of their culture because they scored a massive victory, you know, during that time. They never surrendered, right, Billy? And they got through it mm -hmm. um, through, not just through fighting, but through intelligence and lobbying. And I'll go into the British, you know, contributions to the war, which was substantial. I mean, not just in terms of, of technology, but in terms of, of just um, strategy and ideas. I'll go into that mm -hmm. in another Earth Prime archive when we go over British soil, which will happen soon in the, in the pages of, of All-Star Squadron. And then I'll mm -hmm. you know give them their due. But yeah, um, so um, I'm glad Martin, you know, has found this briefly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Billy, then um, any other feedback? Um, we have, I just wanted to give a shout out to the people that gave likes and retweets on our last episode. Um, DC Multiverse, John Trumbull, Zane Reed Johnson, Terrence C, Slangword Scott, our old buddy from Into the Weird, uh, and one of my favorite Twitter names, the only American Captain Britain fan. <laughs> 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 Comics 42, Ranger Gord. Uh, John Fernand, <laughs> Arturus the Moo Cow, another one of my favorite Twitter names. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Adam Stavelli, uh, Ward Hill Terry, Telltale Mind, Keith G. Baker, uh, Prairie Justice, uh, Our Moonlight Reigns, Ryan Daly, uh, Daniel Ulreich, and Truth, Justice, and Hope, which is uh, the Superman account run by our buddy Grant. So thanks to all those people. Thanks to everyone, guys. Yeah, it means a lot that you guys are liking the show and listening and, and helping us to promote it. Thanks. We really appreciate it. So, Billy, uh, with that... Um, uh, we've prepared a little bit of a send-off. This is also courtesy of Martin. Well, the, the idea is courtesy of Martin. Like, you know, every show needs a send-off. We've got one for Into the Weird. I've got 
kind of like a send off for the long box of darkness. Uh, you've you've got a little bit of a one for magazines and monsters, but we need one for for the ass cast. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably one that does not involve the word ass, but um, for the World on Fire podcast that we're doing here about All-Star Squadron. And we've come up with a little bit of a one based on something I did in a previous episode. Um, you might remember, listeners, that I plagiarized, well, I used a line, a couple of lines from Big Trouble in Little China, the elevator scene specifically where Jack Burton is stuck with Wong and Egg Chen and his martial arts badasses in the elevator about to battle Lo Pan and his three storms and all of his, uh, you know, henchmen. And uh, mm -hmm. what they said in that elevator was, of course, you know, before they went into battle, before drinking a magic potion that Egg Chen had <laughs> prepared. I, I should just go on the record and say Big Trouble in China is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't care. Some people like Citizen Kane. You know, some people like Metropolis. I like Big Trouble in Little China, you know. If you don't get on board with that, then screw you, right? But <laughs> So I love this movie. I've loved it since I was a kid. And they end up saying in that elevator before, you know, leaping into the into the battle, they say, here's to the Army and the Navy and the battles they have won. Here's to America's colors, the colors that never run. And then Jack Burton says, that was Wong saying that. Jack, Jack ends by saying, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Right, Billy? So we've decided to take that... And mm -hmm. we've decided to change it every episode to be our send-off. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Billy, as I remember, you're going to be doing the first bit. I'm going to be doing... Mm -hmm. You're going to be doing Wong. I'm going to be doing mm -hmm. Jack. I mean, I should be doing Wong because I'm here in Asia, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you should come and visit me. That's why you're doing Wong. And I'll mm -hmm. do the Jack bit. So, Billy, here's our send-off. Go for it. Here's to the JSA and the ASS and the battles they have won. Here's to Jerry Ordway's inking. May his inks on the page never spill and run. And then may the sheen of Liberty Bell's belt buckle never lose its luster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's going to be our send-off this time. Now, that's not all, right, Billy? We'd like to invite our ass fans. <laughs> okay, that sounds horrible. Our World on Fire uh, listeners, to our squadroners, to send in mm -hmm. their own, um, you know, send-offs based off of this Jack Burton and Wong uh, dialogue bit. They have to, to, to take that and rework it based on whatever issue we're going to be discussing or based off of, you know, World on Fire as a whole, the All-Star Squadron. They can throw in any DCisms they want in there. And we invite them to each send in some send-offs for us. And then we'll read them at the end of each show, right, Billy? And then credit mm -hmm. whoever sent it in for us. And mm -hmm. um, we'd like you to do that, listeners. If you want to engage that way with us, please send us a send-off based off of this classic Big Trouble in Little China elevator scene. <laughs> we'd, we'd appreciate that, Billy. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Billy, now that I've ruined our send-off, <laughs> um, because I already read it, <laughs> God damn it! I'm gonna use <laughs> one that you might be familiar with, which is the Baron and Zwerg send-off. <laughs> I'm gonna say, <laughs> listeners, you shall see us again, and on that day, Billy and I will strike like lightning in the night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, Billy, yeah, with that, it's uh, been great, but it's bye from me. We'll 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 catch you later on the download, listeners. Thanks for listening.
Take care, everybody. Cheerio.